Hey there and welcome to the teaching from Cornerstone Church today, wherever you are, wherever you're joining us from, you are welcome and uh, good to have you along. And today what we're doing is continuing our series in the Gospel of John. Last week we began, as you remember, if you joined us with the prologue and the, and the beginning of the prologue, verses 1 to 18. And, and so we're just carrying on that today. Uh, we're looking at this second sort of part of the prologue. And so in this, we get we come across a, a character called John the Baptist. And I don't know what you've ever imagined about John the Baptist, or even if you've thought about him or, or what way you've thought about him. But I think for most of us, we have a picture in our minds of what John the Baptist is like. I think we have uh, a picture of this wide-eyed, crazy type guy who is just a little bit deranged, possibly. I think that's what we conjure up in our minds. And to be fair, uh, the description that we possibly have in our minds like that, we're possibly led there a little bit by scripture. Let me read to you from the account in Matthew of the way that John is described, John the Baptist is described in Matthew's gospel. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, A voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. Now to be sure... That even that description of John leads us to think that this guy is a little bit strange to say the least. And sure, John is a little bit strange. I don't know if it's something to do with the name, but this John, John the Baptist, is definitely a little bit strange. He looks strange. And there's a deliberate purpose behind that. But as one commentator put it that I read this week, John the Baptist's ministry was the most beautiful ministry that any man could ever have been given because his ministry was to point sinners to Jesus Christ. That's the task that John the Baptist had been given. And what we see here is a distinct change in the prologue, as it were, an abrupt change in the prologue and the in the first chapter of John's Gospel. It begins, as I said last week, as it were, from above and, and going back beyond any of the other Gospel writers to, to before the foundations of the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We saw there before creation that Jesus existed. Uh, and so there's this change then in, in dynamics and this change of location. Uh, and what we see, now we move uh, right down to earth and we have this portrayal of John the Baptist who's beyond the River Jordan baptising hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people. Uh, this is a baptism as it's described in scripture, a baptism of repentance among those who were coming out to him. And among those who had been coming out to John the Baptist was Jesus himself. Jesus came out to be baptised by John. And John says, I didn't recognise him. Now, of course, we know that's not to be 
not true to a certain extent. We know that John the Baptist and Jesus were in fact cousins. So what is he saying when he says he doesn't recognize him? Well, what he's saying there is that I didn't recognize him for who he was. I didn't recognize him up until this point as the Messiah, as God's perfect lamb. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, just about John's description of Jesus. So John questioned uh, who Jesus was up until this point. And so what John does then in his in this gospel, in the prologue and, and in John the Baptist's words, what we see uh, are descriptions of Jesus and of John the Baptist. John, the, the gospel writer, gives us like almost picture descriptions of John the Baptist and of Jesus. And the words that John the Baptist uses to describe Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. How John the Baptist describes Jesus. And so let's begin. Uh, so John describes himself as a voice in the wilderness, warning God's people to repent while there is still time. The first picture we get of John the Baptist is, is of this voice in the wilderness. John has been baptizing. And there has been something of a revival amongst the people in the area. A genuine revival, an outpouring of the Spirit of God on people to, to repent of sin. To repent of sin. And they've been going, they've been flocking out to hear this preacher. Uh, just as you can think of any, any of the revivals that have been or any, any of the, the great uh, outpourings of the Spirit that we've known in church history. Uh, consider Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, or whoever God has used in centuries gone by. This is a similar thing. People are coming to John the Baptist in their droves. John is crying out in the wilderness. And he's crying out and, and, and pleading with the people to repent. And they're coming to him and he is they're repenting of their sins and he is baptizing them. And we know bap, bap, the word baptize uh, the way it was used then was it was like a symbol, a symbol of ceremonial washing or cleansing. And so that's what was happening. They were coming out, they were repenting of sin, and they were being ceremonially cleansed. That's what was going on. As you would expect, uh, when something like that happens, when, when there's an outpouring of the Spirit and people are repenting of sin, usually what we see throughout history and what we see throughout the Bible is that the, the religious leaders and the religious authorities get a little bit concerned. They, Ironically, they're the ones who get concerned and they wonder what's happening and they wonder what's going on. And in, in verse 19, we read of their concern. And they send out priests and Levites in order to find out what John the Baptist is up to. To figure out what he's saying, what he's doing. And they're concerned about both the message that he's preaching and the methods that he's using. And, and so often that's the case. So often when something happens of God, of genuinely of God, religious people question it. Religious people it's just something in, in the natural way that they are bent. They, they, they question what's happening as if it couldn't be right, as if it couldn't be from God. And that's what goes on here. Jerusalem send out people to find out what's going on. And what we see in verse 23 then is this description. He is a voice in the wilderness. And of course, that's taken from the Old Testament. 
But that little word there that, that is used, a voice in the, the wilderness, the wilderness word conjures up so much meaning. It's full of meaning. First of all, it reminds us again, and I hope you're seeing this, if you've been following along in Exodus, I hope you're seeing the links. The wilderness reminds us of where God's people have come from. God's people in the Exodus were in the wilderness and they're, they're moving out of the wilderness into the promised land. We just witnessed that. We witnessed the Israelites coming out of the wilderness, heading towards the promised land that, in that period in the Old Testament. It's a voice crying in the wilderness of God fulfilling his promises to his people. But the word wilderness also reminds us of something else. Because what God is doing, and we, I mentioned this last week, in the coming of Jesus, Jesus coming to earth, what did we say last week that he was coming to do? That he was coming to make all things new. And so again, we're reminded that Eden was lost and there was a wilderness. John again is going back He's going back to uh, Isaiah 40, but he's going back again to a wilderness, to Eden lost. And Jesus is coming to be the one to restore that perfection. That's what's going on. So that when John, the author of the gospel, comes to write the book of Revelation, uh, the way in those final chapters he portrays the new Jerusalem is not only as a new city, but also as a new garden where fruit and trees flourish to the glory of God and there is no wilderness anymore. So John comes and he is this voice in the wilderness. At this point before Jesus comes, that's where John is. He's out there crying. His message is that the last days are on the horizon. Repent for sin. Be baptised as a symbolic representation of your cleansing. As I say, Jerusalem sends priests, Levites, to find out what's happening. They are concerned by John the Baptist, who is not a priest, who's not a Levite, who in their eyes is an ordinary, they would probably even think, think in very lowly terms of John the Baptist. Let's just say he wasn't theologically trained. So who does John the Baptist think he is? That's the question that comes his way. The Levites and the priests come and they ask the question, who do you think? Who, who are you? And they ask him, is he the Messiah? John says, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the promised Messiah, but I am the one declaring that the day is near where the promised Messiah is coming. Are you then Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah either. And and. You can forgive the religious leaders in this instance somewhat because uh, we, we read in in the book of Malachi that, that in the last days the, the prophet Elijah will come again. And also we can forgive them because John the Baptist, if we, if we read the Old Testament, John the Baptist, and this is why I'm saying about it being intentional, John the Baptist looked the way he looked. He looked quite like Elijah, but he's not Elijah. So he's not the Messiah, he's not Elijah. And John plays them a little. 
John the Baptist plays the religious leaders a little bit. And he says, if you knew your Bibles as well as you say you know your Bibles, then you'd know the passage in Isaiah 40, where it says this. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 40 verse 1 to 5. Now in the particular context that Isaiah wrote those words. And this is important to say. Isaiah wrote those words in the context of the Israelites being exiled to Babylon. But in those words and underlying those words and, and underpinning those words was a promise that God would not only bring the, the Israelites back from Babylon to Israel, but that he would send one eventually who would free all people who believe in him from their sin and from their bondage. That's the underlying promise that we find in those verses in Isaiah 40. I'm not the king, I'm not the, I'm not the promised Messiah, I'm not Elijah, but I am this one who is coming and crying in the wilderness and, and, and calling for people to repent because one is coming who is going to save the people from their sins. John the Baptist is saying this. My task in life, I have only one. That's what he said. My task in life, and I have only one, is to say to people, you need Jesus. To show you you need him, to, to tell you that you need him, and then to declare who he is. So that when he appears, when he comes, you will embrace him for who he is. The long expected Messiah Redeemer. That was John the Baptist's role. The religious leaders didn't like what was happening. They come out to him and they say, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah, even though you look like him? No. I am the voice in the wilderness pointing towards one who is going to come and save the people from their sins. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Just a moment. What I said in my introduction was, even though John looked crazy, looked a little bit deranged, he had the most beautiful ministry that anyone could ever be given. And that's true. The most beautiful ministry that we have been given as followers of Christ is to point other people to Christ. And so when we look at this, when we look at John the Baptist's role, 
we all have been given that as followers of Jesus. We all have been given that role to call others to repent, to show them who Jesus is, and ask them to trust in Jesus. And so we are caught up in that. We are caught up in this ministry that John the Baptist had. And we have been given the most beautiful ministry that anyone could ever been given. You have, if you're a follower of Christ. You have been given this same commission to go into all the world and make disciples. Declare the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. That's the call in your life. That's the call in your life, no matter where you are, whether it's in work or at home or whatever you're doing. That's the call in your life. And so you've been given this beautiful ministry just as John the Baptist had been given. Then John the Baptist sees Jesus. And here we get another like word picture of who John declares Jesus to be. So not only is he a voice in the wilderness, but then he turns and he looks and he sees the Christ coming. And he describes Jesus in this way. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's almost as if John the Baptist has been preaching. And he's saying, I've been reading through the Old Testament. And I've been reading Exodus and I've saw the story of God promising to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. I've read Deuteronomy and I'm reading Isaiah and I'm realizing that this is my role in all of this. And then all of a sudden it makes sense. And he focuses on the person of Jesus. And in this statement that John makes, he makes an amazing, an amazing claim. That Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and sometimes we can hear something like that. We can think, oh, that's really interesting. Because John's fulfilling what happened in Isaiah, Isaiah 40. And, and we can see the links that are, and that's interesting for. But it's more than interesting. This is an astonishing claim that John the Baptist is making. It's a claim that, that throughout history lives would be given, lives would be taken, people would lay literally their lives out for this claim. That this Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Think of the story. Think about what John the Baptist would have been would have been thinking about the whole time that he was out there preaching, and and sometimes you wonder what was in his mind. What was was he thinking about Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain and and there being no lamb to be found, and and all of a sudden God provides a lamb. Was he thinking about uh, the time? When throughout the Old Testament, people would bring lambs to sacrifice them for sin in the temple. Was he thinking about that? And was he thinking about the perpetual nature of that? And, and the fact that it had to happen over and over again for the forgiveness of sins. Was he thinking about all of these things? And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears in front of him. 
And all of a sudden, history, all of history makes sense. Was he thinking that about all the lambs that had went before on Jewish altars for the forgiveness of sins? It's known that on some feast days in Israel around the temple, there was a trench going out of the temple and the it formed a river of blood for all the lambs that were being slain and people could see it. Day after day, week after week, year after year, repeated again and again and again. And here John makes this astonishing claim that Jesus is the lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what John the Baptist is saying to all these priests and all these Levites that came down to question him. He's saying with all of your theology and with all of your tradition and all of your symbols and all of your structures. And all of your buildings and all of your concerns about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. John is saying here is the Lamb. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, was there ever a more beautiful text in Scripture than that? That all of history, there had to be repeated sacrifice over and over again. And then Jesus comes. And this was going to be the one this was going to be the one that we read we read about in Hebrews that was going to be the once and for all sacrifice for sin. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's God's prophet. He's God's priest. He's God's king. He is the lamb. And it's his blood that is going to be the key for the forgiveness of sins for all of those who will trust him for all of time. And every sin that they have ever committed and every sin that they will ever commit will be placed on him and they will be forgiven. So John is a voice in the wilderness. Crying, saying, Repent, the time is near. And then, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And He's the one. He is the one that will bring an end to the perpetual sacrifice system. How, how does that apply or what, what, what can we take from this? Well, it's very simple. It's really simple. What we take from this is just a reminder. And we do it when we have communion together. It's just a reminder of the gospel. It's just a reminder that Jesus has paid the price for sin. And some of us, maybe you need to hear this today, maybe I need to hear it today, I need to hear it every day, you need to hear it every day. 
But we need to remind ourselves that our sins are forgiven. And we don't need to load ourselves with the weight and the shame and the burden of sins forgiven. And so I just want to encourage you today with that. The Lamb, the perfect Lamb has come. The perfect Lamb. John the Baptist points to him and says, this is the Lamb. The perfect Lamb has come and he has done what he set out to do. And he has bought salvation for us. And then we move from that. So we have uh, John, a voice in the wilderness. Isaiah 40. We have this declaration from John the Baptist about who Jesus is. And then we have this other word picture type thing of the Spirit of God identifying Jesus as God's Messiah. And we have John saying that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the likeness or in the form of a dove. So this is before the, the Levites and the priests have arrived. John has witnessed something. He has saw something. It's not recorded in any detail in John's gospel, but it is recorded in the other gospel. And what it is that John, what is it that John the Baptist has seen? Well, he has seen the heavens open up. He has seen the Spirit of God descend on Jesus in the former likeness of a dove and rest on him. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when we think of dove, we think magic hats. Or we think, we, we, can, we can conjure up all sorts of images in our minds when we think about certain things. Uh, but let's forget about that for a moment. Let's try and put all those things to the side for one moment and think about what's going on here. Why like a dove? Why like a dove? Well, again, we need to go back into the Old Testament. Like so much of this already, and I really do hope I'm nerdy geek. I hope that you are seeing the links between the old and the new and seeing that how everything comes together. I love that when we when we see things like this. But we, we need to go back. Why a dove? Doves throughout the Old Testament play a particular specific role in things. Think about Noah and the flood. Story of the flood. It was the dove that brought back the branch, the leaves, as a symbol of God's judgment passing. You remember God's, God's judgment had come on the people and they, the flood had come and he had wiped out uh, the earth. And it was, a, it was a, almost a, a recreation then of, of things. And, and the dove was the, 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 the animal, the bird that brought back the branch to say that God's judgment at that time had passed. Dove playing a crucial role. Also in the Old Testament, uh, Fascinatingly, I find when, when a poor person couldn't afford a lamb or a goat for a sacrifice, what would, so the system demanded that you bring a lamb or a, or a goat for a sacrifice for sins. So, but what if a poor person couldn't afford that? What they would bring is two turtle doves, doves again. One of those doves would be sacrificed and through the sacrifice imagery, 
would be given, portrayed, of this means of forgiveness of sins by God and peace with God. And so when this dove descends on Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove, he's pointing back again to say that this is the Messiah. This is the beginning of this recreation again. Interesting, as I, I noted before, that, that John says, I didn't recognise him. And as I say, he's not saying that because he didn't know him. He did know him. They were cousins. But what he was saying is, up until this point, up until this, up until the Spirit had had split the sky and descended on Jesus in this former likeness of a dove and rested on Jesus, up until that point, I didn't recognise him for who he was. And John is saying this is the way that God chose to identify Jesus as the Messiah. The Holy Spirit coming and resting on him. This is the one who is going to preach forgiveness for sins. This is the one who is the Messiah. This is the one through whom sins will be atoned for. And when Jesus is baptised by John the Baptist, he is carrying out, as it were, God's plan before the foundations of the earth. First Peter 1.20 In response, God the Father acts in approval by, by opening the clouds and sending the Spirit to rest on Jesus. As I say, out of the opening of the sky, the Spirit of God descends. And in that physical movement, it symbolises visually the Spirit of God in the form of a dove coming on Jesus. It comes to rest on him. And this resting signifies uh, the same thing that Jesus talks about in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus carries out his ministry in the power of the Spirit. He says in Matthew 12, but if, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It was by the Spirit of God that Jesus carried out his ministry. So the Spirit of God comes and identifies this as the Messiah. And it is through the Spirit of God that Jesus carries out his ministry then. How much more important. Well not more important. But how, how important is it then. That we realise that. It has to be the same for us. It has to be through the power of the Spirit moving in us. That we carry out our ministry. And by our ministry. Let me be clear what I mean by that. By our ministry, I mean living our daily lives as followers of Christ. We only can do that. We only can do that through the power of the Spirit. Not through our own might, not through our own initiative, not through our own cleverness, not through our own ability, not through our education, not through anything, but by the power of the Spirit. And let me say this. If we want to see, and I think we do, I don't think I would. I, I could ask everyone if they wanted to see real change in people's lives. 
real gospel change in people's lives. People coming to Jesus, people following Jesus, people repenting of sin. If we want to see that, we must trust the move of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit to do that and not ourselves. Jesus did. We must too. So there we have three things that we've identified today. John the Baptist is this voice in the wilderness crying, repent. Uh, Religious leaders don't like it. They come to check him out and he's like, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm going to point to the one that is. Beautiful ministry that we have also. Then we have uh, John the Baptist saying who Jesus is. He is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Absolutely beautiful. We know that he has accomplished what he set out to do. We are forgiven. And then we have the Spirit of God coming, resting on the Messiah, identifying him as such. And then Jesus fulfilling his ministry in the power of the Spirit. And so must we. So must we. And I just want to finish today by saying this. What is John saying to us? What is John the Baptist saying to us today? Just as he was saying to the priests and the Levites who gathered, the religious leaders that gathered to question him and to to call into question what he was doing. And they didn't hear him. They didn't accept the message. They didn't accept Jesus for who he was. They rejected the message. But John's still saying to us. He's still preaching to us today. John the Baptist. And he's saying this. He's saying a couple of things. He's he's showing us how to do ministry. And he's showing us what ministry is. He's saying, point away from yourself. Continue to point away from yourself and point to Jesus. He's saying, the Lamb of God has come. And he's still saying that to you today. So maybe you're listening to this and you're not a follower of Jesus. John the Baptist would cry to you today the same way he cried in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has come and he has sacrificed himself as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Come to him, follow him. Give your life to him. He is the answer to every problem. He's the answer to our brokenness. He's the answer to our sinful heart. He is the answer to our wretched condition. He is the the answer to our guilt. He is the answer to our shame. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world. And my job today, and my job all the time, is simply that of John the Baptist. To point away from me. To point to Jesus. And say trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father today we we thank you again for your word. 
And we thank you that you speak today every bit through, as much through John the Baptist as you did when he spoke beside the river. And Father, I pray that through the Spirit of God you would speak to us today. Show us what a beautiful ministry we have in pointing people to Jesus. Show us that he is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Compel us to do our ministry in the power of the Spirit alone and not in our own strength. We love you, Jesus. And we pray in your name.